Overnight on ABC Radio. Yeah, hi there. Tim Webster for Rod Quinn. And uh, yeah, Phil Clark did tell me about that. I just tried to, to do a weather for you. I'll do a great big weather uh, later in the morning, but uh, difficult for me to do weather for everybody uh, now. And I think our little weather machine, uh, which gives you the weather where you are, is on the fritz, as they say in the classic. So one three hundred eight hundred triple two is our number. And uh, love to get your text to 0467 0467 922702. And uh, yeah, thanks for all of your texts. It's uh, it's great. Look, I'm I'm fine, and I will tell the story uh, in detail a bit later in the morning. But uh, it's a very interesting thing. And uh, the boss said to me, you know, you really should tell that story about your car accident because uh, of the protocols that you have to go through when you have a single vehicle car accident. You know, with no one else involved, no one else hurt, just you and uh, a very mangled up motor car so we'll do all of that later but uh, yeah send me a text love your text 0467922702 if you want to have a yarn 1300800222 is the number but for now off we go to the United States because on the line I have Celeste Katz Marston hi Celeste good morning good morning to you when they say it's all happening in the United States it really really is isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it definitely seems that way now I hear that uh, Ron DeSantis' launch of his presidential campaign didn't go too well. Yeah, it wasn't a complete failure to launch. And you can see the the SpaceX joke I I buried in there. But uh, it was trying something kind of new, which was to, instead of rolling it out in front of a, a big live audience or just putting out a video, he tried to launch it on Twitter with Elon Musk. Yeah. And it did not go that well. Well, I, technical failures, dropouts, all of that sort of thing I hear, yeah? Yeah, it was sort of, it was almost like the worst radio program presentation you could imagine. There was a lot of dead air and feedback and oh, drop-offs and, and stuff like that, sort of, you know, doing a lot of radio. It's kind of a, it was kind of a radio nightmare, basically, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the people who were trying to produce that event were not very happy, and I can't imagine that either Ron DeSantis or Elon Musk were totally thrilled, although... Part of the reason they claim that there were so many technical problems was because so many people were trying to listen that they basically crashed the system. Yeah, right. Yeah, very embarrassing, though. Hey. Yeah, it was not. You're looking for something sort of very smooth and splashy and non-controversial, and you want to have good news coverage, of course. You want to have some sort of substantive news coverage, or at least not negative. And the fact that you and I are sitting here talking about how it was a technical disaster, probably not the headlines he wanted to see the next day. You know, Celeste, sometimes it's a good idea to just go old school, you know, just get up there at a lectern and, uh, you know, launch yourself for the presidency and forget all the whiz-bangery because sometimes it does fail, <laughs> sadly. Yes, very, very, very true. And the safest way, and some uh, candidates have been uh, adopting the strategy more often, is to do a video, to do a, a longer uh, maybe two or three minute sort of biographical video that allows them to control every aspect of how they look, how they sound, what they say. They can rehearse it. Yeah. They can practice it because live events can can go off the rails a bit too. And plus, you might have to, you know, gasp, actually talk to real people, including reporters. <laughs> What a what a novel event! <laughs> now tell yeah, me, who, tell me who would want that? <laughs> tell me about this fella, uh, the Florida governor Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's uh, probably no secret he was going to uh, to nominate, um, and Trump calls him Ron DeSanctimonious. I mean, all of that stuff going on, and uh, is he a chance? 
look, there's there's always a chance people are going to be looking at Donald Trump. And there are a lot of people, you know, don't get me wrong, who really, really like Donald Trump and what he stood for yeah. and what he did as president. And there's certainly a lot of people who didn't. But I think the the idea that uh, Ron DeSantis is trying to present is that he's an experienced governor of a big state, Florida. He has conservative principles and he's sort of in the Trump mold, but he's also uh, substantially younger. And uh, he doesn't have a lot of the the sort of baggage with the celebrity and the legal issues and, and all this sort of, you know, uh, family drama, all these kinds of things. So he's essentially trying to present himself as the things you like about Trump without the things you don't like about him. But, you know, again, Trump is such an unusual and singular figure in American politics that it's really sort of hard to separate out what he does and, and who he is, the the star factor, so to speak, uh, for good and for bad. Yeah. I tell you what uh, does amaze me in a way about Donald Trump. He spends so much time in, in court, yet he's still uh, incredibly popular. His supporters don't seem to care about any of that, or is his popularity dropping a bit? I think that uh, there are a lot of people who don't care what he does. They think that uh, he's not doing anything wrong. He's acting in their best interest, that if there is a, a legal decision against him or a jury decision against him, it must be rigged or stacked or fixed or something. And hmm. part of the reason many people may believe that is because he has spent many, many, many years leading them. To believe that, yeah, that he couldn't possibly lose an election if something doesn't go his way, it's because the fix is in, not because the people say chose Joe Biden as the president of the United States and not Donald Trump. Yeah, and look, uh, I'm not ageist in in any way. In fact, far from it. But uh, I suppose it should be said that you know Joe, Joe Biden will be in his 80s. Uh, Trump will be 80 odd. I mean, is there something to be said for someone like DeSantis, who I think is what 44? Yeah, he's he's much, much younger. And yeah. you could say an, an older person has been tested, has more experience and so on. But we've had younger presidents. We have not had presidents or, you know, would be going into this term. These would be the oldest presidents that we've ever had. Uh, Joe Biden, for one, has come out and said, yeah, I think it's fair for people to think about my age. It's fair for people to to factor that into their decision. For my part, I don't feel like I am not capable of doing the job. But yeah, it's okay for people to consider that. And if you're looking at somebody that you might want to be sort of a steady hand at the tiller for two terms, you know, that's a different that's a different calculation. Yeah. And people are right to think about this on both sides, on Democratic and Republican. Yes. And I think you've still got many months before any of this happens. And we're just talking about uh, DeSantis and Trump and, and Biden. Is there anyone on either side that could come as, well, a dark horse, if you like? There are plenty of other people who are interested in the job. I would not not as much, I think, on the Democratic side, because when you have a sitting president, you generally don't primary him unless you are, sure, uh, yeah. you know, a really, really sort of a, a you know, pot stirrer there. But there are lots of people on the Republican side that are interested. Uh, Nikki Haley was the former ambassador mm -hmm. to the U.N., um, Tim Scott is a senator from South Carolina is trying to get in. There are you know, a few people that are sort of uh, a little further out there in terms of the, the likelihood of them getting uh, any traction in this race. But there, there are some known quantities. But I think right now, uh, at the moment anyway, it looks like sort of a Trump versus DeSantis thing could be happening. Trump certainly leading in the polls. Yes. And goodness me, uh, you campaigned for a long time. <laughs> 
in your country. We don't have, you know, election campaigns anywhere near that length. It's announced and then, you know, there's a couple of months, but uh, you've got months and months of it ahead, haven't you? Oh, my God. Well, we yeah. need that much time to spend all that money. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Now, away from uh, politics, and we've been talking about Tina here in our country because she had a, a great relationship and association with a game here called Rugby League, and she came very often, and, and we loved her dearly, but uh, you, know, you did too. Oh, my God. You know, she really meant so much to so many people. And I mean, I remember buying her album when I was a kid and I remembered uh, my parents, you know, had played me her music from when she was big in their time. And then she came out again, you know, sort of in the 80s with this new record and restarted her whole career. But um, just a fascinating person, really somebody to admire for her personal strength, getting out of a a horrible, horrible, abusive financially controlling relationship and i didn't realize there was this such an australian angle to her her comeback i i hadn't thought about that until i read more about her um yeah. this week that she had uh the manager who was essentially brought her back was this guy roger davis who was yeah. uh, an australian right yes absolutely um, yeah i didn't i didn't realize. well you know thank you Thank you uh, for for doing that. And David Bowie, obviously, also, uh, you know, separately having a a big part in her comeback. But uh, somebody whose music I always enjoyed and her dancing, her stage presence, she was just an exciting person to listen to and to watch. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, a goddess of of rock and roll and that extraordinary voice. And when you think of uh, where she came from, I think she started uh, hanging around with Ike Turner when she was only a teenager in about 1957, 58. And uh, she was mesmerized by him. And he's a great musician, awful man, but a hell of a guitar player. And so there was all of that. And then, you know, the resurgence of the career, which Roger Davies uh, oversaw, uh, by the way, through the 80s and and 90s, and that association she had with a game here uh, called Rugby League, so the equivalent of uh, your NFL. And she did Mm. two campaigns. Uh, What you get is what you see and simply the best uh, for rugby league. And it it was a resurgence for the game in this country. And everyone went, why are you using, you know, an American rock star to do an Australian promotion for our game? Well, it worked magnificently. And and, uh, we just adore her here. Yeah, it's a it's it's a real shame. It's a real loss. I mean, she she achieved so many things. I I love the fact that she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. One with uh, her her former husband, but yep. once on her own. I really like that she had that she had that that recognition as a solo artist because she deserved it. Yeah, she did, and uh, I don't think I don't think she's lived in the states for what, maybe what ten years, and uh, and took herself off to Switzerland, and uh, you know she'd been unwell. So yeah, as they say, Vale, uh, Tina Turner, she's uh, ascended the stairway, and they got a hell of a band up there now, haven't they? <laughs> wow, they sure do. Now this story, um, I must say, surprises me, and, and I don't know what the reaction would be if something like this happened uh, in this country. The Target stores are removing some LGBTQI merchandise following a backlash from the customers. Yeah, there's uh, June is Pride Month in the United States. And of course, it's a time to celebrate uh, 
LGBTQIA plus. I'm probably missing some letters, but you know, yeah. people yeah. from uh, of all persuasions and all walks of life. And so, obviously, when you have something like that, people are going to try to merchandise off of it. No question about it. Target is a major, major retailer in the United States, and of course, they have clothes and they have, uh, you know, all sorts of products. Uh, you know, bags and signs yeah. and and shirts and all these things. But apparently, there has been an increase in confrontations between customers and staff when the customers are acting up in the store because they don't want to see these things. And this is part of sort of a bigger culture war. I hate that phrase, but if you want to call it that in the United States, um, about what kind of uh, sex education children should have at what age and uh, gender reassignment, gender identity, uh, what we should and should be talking about, what we should and should not be allowing uh, minor children to do in terms of yeah. uh, hormone therapy and all that stuff. But people are going into the stores, they're seeing the stuff, they're getting mad and they're throwing it on the floor, they're yelling at the workers. So Target's like, all right, look, this isn't safe for our workers. Sorry, yeah. we're taking this stuff away. That's yeah. Over. Just to give an example to the listeners, I mean, things like uh, gender fluid mugs, queer all year, calendars and books for kids, uh, age two to eight, uh, bye bye binary pride one, two, three, I'm not a girl. But uh, has it become, uh, well, I hope not, has it become violent? I suppose throwing things on the floor is violent, isn't it? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything about sort of a real, like, violent, like, physically violent incident. We, we do have those in the United States, but for other things. But yeah, this is more about just, I think, them being sort of proactive about not letting it escalate to that level. I guess they're seeing yeah. enough of it that it is not an isolated thing and they're concerned. They do have some sort of liability. And then more overarchingly, they don't want to create either, you know, sort of negative vibes or a negative um perception of them in the in the public eye and they're saying look this is becoming a problem we tried to do this it's a limited time thing anyway i think they're just sort of saying you know it's not worth the trouble it is causing or may cause yeah look there is uh to an extent a conservative backlash here uh, as well but uh, it would seem not as uh well stark as in your country because uh, you also told me uh, bud light that famous beer uh, promoted a beer on the social media using a transgender influencer that I don't know named Dylan Mulvaney. So there was that too. It's obviously um, what taking hold in the US would be the way to say it. Yeah, I think it's 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 definitely a thing uh, among a certain probably small vocal minority, I guess, sector of the population. Like most of people, most people in the United States really are just going about their lives. They're not really worrying about no, who's exactly. yeah. trying to sell them Bud Light or whether somebody has the word queer on a tote bag in Target. Like people yeah, yeah, have well, other yeah, stuff yeah, to do. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think the vast majority of people are not terribly involved in it. People may have some feelings, but they don't act on them uh, in these in these wild ways. They may make decisions for themselves or for their own families and their own children. And then you get into sort of the larger issue of you know, book banning or restricting what uh, kids can do or healthcare, like these are sort of rippling out. But I think the vast majority of people are not uh, terribly affected by this on a daily basis. And if they are, they're dealing with it. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, uh, my producer and I said exactly the same thing when I saw this story from you. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if people had just left each other alone? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
just leave his other alone. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, um, one of my texters is saying, and, and I've mentioned a few of them, uh, uh, that some of these articles that removed were pretty out there. His term, are, are any of them what you describe as like out there over the top, if you like? I think maybe one of the ones that people were getting concerned about was a sort of a, uh, like a unisex uh, swimsuit. Um, right. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too too deep into the uh, the description, but uh, it, it is apparently a swimsuit that can be worn comfortably by a man or a woman. Like it might have some extra fabric or something. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think that some people found that a little bit disturbing. Mm. Okay. Now, this one has started to happen here, and it's interesting it's starting to happen all over the world. Uh, The banning of the use of the cell phone, uh, in our country we call the mobile phone, in schools. Right, right. So some places are saying, look, there's it's too distracting. It's not necessary. Uh, kids should be focusing on their classwork when they are physically in school. Maybe what they do outside of school hours is is up to them. But, you know, there there is some question here in the uh, Commonwealth of Massachusetts about whether this should be a broader policy. Right now we have sort of a patchwork. Some districts are handling it one way and some another. And, you know, there are different um there are different options. It's maybe not letting children bring phones to school, maybe having them put them away in a locker or cubby. They also have these uh, phones that are basically like isolation bag, uh, phone bags, um, which block signals. So the phone is still physically with you, like could be in your backpack or something, but uh, is not getting a bunch of dings and pings and phone calls and all these things during the day when you're supposed to be concentrating. But the bags can be opened in case of an emergency. And Mm. I think that a lot of parents, uh, considering some of the unfortunate incidents that we have seen in and around schools in the United States, would really like to have a way to make sure their child can contact them in an emergency and vice versa. Mm. Um, We didn't have that when I was growing up. Uh, You you didn't have cell phones or or email (laughs) or that kind of thing, but, but maybe we needed them less at the time too. Um, so that, that of course is the concern is balancing focus and concentration with safety. And, and this all comes on the heels of, of reporting that shows that, uh, tele, you know, phone addiction, screen addiction and social media are not helping kids. No, that's true. Has somebody, I'm sure they probably have brought up the issue of safety and the kids saying, well, listen, I, I need, what if something goes wrong? What if something happens? I need my phone to, to phone my parents or whatever. Right, right. And I think that parents uh, will certainly feel that they want to be able to know. I mean, there are apps where you can even physically track where your child is 24 hours a day, you know, geo geolocators and stuff. Maybe people can do that through air tags, or maybe some people find that mm. invasive and, and offensive, and they don't like that idea at all. But I think that uh, the environment in which we live can certainly understand why parents would want to be able to, uh, if not know exactly where their children are at all times, to at least be able to reach them in an emergency. Yeah, and grants being offered of uh, gee, up, what up to a million dollars to to provide these these student pouches. So that's somewhere where you put the phone, and it's there during the day, and you get it back out when you leave school. I guess, yeah. Right. I mean, it's the difference is it's not off and it's available when right. you need it, but it is not constantly sending you notifications and ringing and the, the temptation isn't there. It, it, it's I think it's magnetically sealed, so it can be unlocked in an emergency. It can be opened in an emergency, but it's 
it, it's a step short of taking away the phone, but apparently uh, should have the benefits of having it silenced and, and away out of yeah. view and, yeah. and out of your hand. Well, you know, I think generally, and this is a worldwide problem, not just uh, here or in your country. I mean, the use of the mobile phone, I mean, you sit on any public transport here and uh, the kids, well, not just the kids, by the way, even uh, older people have got their head buried in that phone or, or if they're on the train, maybe even on a laptop or a, an iPad. And uh, it just seems that the whole life is devoted to that phone. So, you know, being without it for a few hours a day, surely... Uh, they can, but uh, God, they're attached to them, aren't they? Right. And and you can imagine. I mean, there are all sorts of things. Aside from the distraction, there's the distress and, and addiction caused by uh, social media. But I mean, also there are practical concerns. You don't want kids who are taking an exam to be checking things things on their phone, right? I mean, that's that's not the yeah, purpose of, no. of having an exam. So there, there's lots of things to be concerned about. But it, it's also a part of a big discussion, which I'm sure you are having as as much as we are, which is about how uh, how much time kids spend on these phones and how it makes them feel about themselves and other people. Because there's a lot of cyberbullying and, oh, yes. and yeah. body yeah. image disorder uh, issues that are wrapped up in, in all of this. And, you know, they're in school. They should be paying attention to school, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely correct. And, uh, well, you know, there's another, and this is the, you know, the thing about mobile phones and the internet and the dark web and the people that are out there, that we've got a story around here today, last couple of days of, you know, sextortion, they're calling it. And, and you know, people sending, young people are sending, you know, nude photographs of themselves to people they don't even know. And then, you know, that person tries to get money out of them. So, well, if you, if you don't give me money, I'm going to put the pictures up. So, I mean, all of that going on. So, you know, look, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy, but, you know, being without the phone for a few hours, uh, it might be, you know, something they don't want to do. But I think it's got to be beneficial in the long run just to have a rest from the thing. Right, right. Just the the physical people have a physical reaction to the scrolling and it becomes sort of almost this weird like yeah. trance state. And you know, everyone can go down a, a rabbit hole on Instagram or, or Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, maybe after school or not too you know, right before bedtime, but maybe between getting out of school and doing homework or something like that is one thing. But just the idea that we are allowing kids to essentially train themselves or be trained by a device to have a physical need, a psychological need to constantly check in on the phone. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't see anything terrible about taking it a little slow on that. <laughs> yeah. Just having a bit of a timeout, I think you call it, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lovely to talk to you, Celeste. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Celeste Katz-Marston from the United States and uh, what's going on